0: Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCoursey. It's
1: not easy to be still and know that he is God. The greatest fight in life is to maintain our walk with God. That's the path to victory, to dwell, to abide. It is the depth of our intimacy with God which will determine the breadth of our bravery before man.
0: Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm Wayne Shepherd. During any crisis or difficult situation, God calls us to be a witness to His sufficiency and power. That's our focus as we consider the bold and fearless words of Psalm 91. The psalmist is putting a stake in the ground as he testifies to God's unchanging character. We're in a study called Psalms of Trust, Statements of Faith, and today Philip's concluding his lesson on Psalm 91 titled Shelter in Place. You can replay lessons at ktt.org. Here now is Pastor
1: Philip. Psalm 91 is celebrating the bullets we've missed. And I want us to come and look at this psalm. Let's look at verses 1 to 2, first of all. The delivered. The delivered. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. The psalmist is a witness to God's grace in preserving providence. He's not a victim to fearful circumstances. You're a witness to the sufficiency of God's presence and power. But here's the point, here's the takeaway. Here's what works for Monday morning. Those who abide in God, those who make God their dwelling place don't need to hide from danger. And let me remind you this, here's the promise of this text. Dwelling with God and living for God is the safest path in life. What is being nailed home is the security and the safety that's found in the presence of God in the midst of danger. Listen, the issue in life is not, are you near danger? The issue in life is, are you near God in the midst of the danger? Let's move on. Verses 1 to 2, what I called the delivered. The psalmist is speaking to himself and speaking for himself and giving testimony to where he's at in life. I will say, the Lord is my refuge and my fortress. But now he introduces us to a second focus. The psalmist has not only been speaking for his own benefit, he has been speaking for others' benefits. This is verses 3 to 13, what I call the deliverance. It's one long, expansive, rich reassurance and restatement that God can be trusted to deliver and cover his people. Look at the language, verse 3. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Having spoken to himself, I will say of the Lord, he now speaks to others and encourages them to put their faith in God. Now, let's look at the deliverance here. The psalmist is writing out of his own experience. He has declared his own faith in God. He now turns to the community of faith and he addresses perhaps a particular individual. Whatever the case, two aspects of the deliverance. Number one, the meaning and the means. The meaning and the means. Here's what's being promised. We are being promised deliverance from our trials. Sometimes God does deliver us from them. But I want you to notice verse 4, not only does God promise to deliver us from them or out of them, but he doesn't always do that. There's another deliverance, and that is a deliverance in them, a deliverance from fear, a deliverance from surrender, a deliverance from spiritual collapse. Look at verse 4, he shall cover you. So the meaning of the deliverance is that God will either deliver us from, and that's a wonderful thing, and he has and he does, but he will also cover us in. That's the meaning of the deliverance. What about the means of deliverance? Quickly, the means of deliverance. The text shows that the ground of our promised deliverance comes from several sources. I'm going to just camp really on one of them and and mention the other two, but I love this thought. The real security is found in the nature and character of God, the nature and character of God. See, God is described in the opening verses with four wonderful names that reveal His glorious nature and His glorious character. The breadth and depth and height of God's being can only be described in a variety of titles and names. He's the Most High. El Yon. The God who is above all, the God who presides, the God who's sovereign, the God who's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the Almighty. He's El Shaddai. He's the all-sufficient one, adequate for every situation. He's the Lord, which is capitalized. That's Yahweh or Jehovah. He's the self-existent one. He's the one who keeps covenant with his people as he introduced his name to Moses and made covenant with him. Then he's Elohim the powerful God, the God who surpasses all that we can imagine. Here are four good reasons to believe, here are four good reasons to hope, here are four good reasons to calm down. Elion, El Shaddai, Yahweh, Elohim. He is for us. And if He is for us, described, partially by these four glorious names, then who can be against this? I love also what Christopher Ashe says in his commentary on the Psalms, putting these four together stresses that the person in view is not placing their trust in some vague self-defined spirituality, but in the covenant creator of the Bible. This is a self-description of God within His Word where we're given windows into His person And our security is based on the perfect, unchangeable, unrivaled nature of God. In fact, if you'll scroll down to verse 14, you'll notice these words as God now speaks. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will deliver him on high because he has known my name. When you know the names of God, when you understand their significance, when you read your Bible and see them worked out in redemptive history, what? peace comes, what confidence is found, what strength becomes real. Read the life of Martin Niemöller, contemporary of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a former U-boat captain, Lutheran pastor, one of the founders of the confessional church in Germany that opposed the Nazification of the German church. In 1934, he was hauled before Adolf Hitler, who berated him and other Lutheran pastors, basically told him, you stay out of national business, preach in your church, take care of your people, but you leave the nation to me. And Martin Niemöller spoke up, and he said that it was God's will for him and the whole church to speak the whole counsel of God to the whole of the people. Hitler didn't say much. But you know what? His actions spoke louder than words. Within a few days, a bomb went off in the vestry of Martin E. Moeller. Not too long after that, he himself was arrested, imprisoned. And after some time in imprisonment, 1938, he was brought to trial. And at that moment, the cold, bony finger of fear stuck itself in his face, and he began to, to kind of lose it a little bit. He wondered about friends and family and his future. And he was going through an underground tunnel from his prison to the trial in Nuremberg with all of these fears now gripping his soul. He heard a whisper. He didn't know where it came from. He wondered, what was it? Was it supernatural? But then he realized it had come from the guard who was taking him to his trial. And the whisper communicated these words, Proverbs 18, 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. And you know what? His fears melted away in the light of that truth. In the midst of corona, in the midst of an uncertain future, in the midst of pestilence and plague, my friend, is the name of the Lord not a strong tower? El Shaddai, Yahweh, Elohim, Yon? sufficient, covenant-keeping, almighty, above all, you nestle. You won't have to wrestle with fear and anxiety because you're abiding under the shadow of that God. In Him you can put your trust. He's your fortress. He's your refuge. Now, I don't have time to develop the other two means of grace regarding this. I'll just throw them your way. Psalm 91 verse 4, he shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings shall you take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. I love the New Living Translation. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. His truth as revealed in his word. In the 66 books of the Bible, in the two covenants, old and new, we have all the great and exceeding promises of God to us, his people, and they are like armor. Truth understood and truth undertaken makes us bold and makes us brave, and it puts our enemies to flight. Don't forget that we saw an element of Jesus' temptation in that The devil knows his Bible and can misapply it, which is a dangerous thing. When you misinterpret and misapply a text, you're in danger. But when you live that text and apply that text, you're in sure and safe ground. And Jesus fought the devil and overcame his circumstances with these words, It is written, the word of God was his armor in fact, we'll change the metaphor. Here we have the Word of God as a shield in Ephesians 6. It's a sword. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, helps us in the fight. And may we em- embrace that. You know, for some years, my wife June read Spurgeon's Checkbook of Faith, And it was an encouragement to her. And I always loved that image of the checkbook of faith, and his book had many, many of the great and exceeding promises of God. And you know what what he called that book, the checkbook of faith? I'll let you hear his words about the promises of God. As you read them over, one after the other, you need to say to yourself, this is my checkbook. I can take out the promises as I want them, sign them by faith, present them at the great bank of grace, and come away enriched with present help in time of need. Oh, my friend, as you read the promises of God's Word, turn your checks into cash. But there's one other element of this, the angels of God The angels of God, I'd love to develop this. It deserves a sermon itself, the ministry of God's angels. But here in verses 11 to 12, we read these words, for he shall give his angels charge over you. Now remember where we're at in the sermon. We're looking at the meaning of the deliverance. It's either to deliver us from or to cover us in. And what is the means of the deliverance? Trusting God's character, worshiping before God and embracing what he is and taking that out into life believing the promises of God, and they will become armor to you. And then on top of that, God takes his secret service agents, the angels. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of heavenly armors, and he charges them to take care of you and me. And the reason I call them God's secret service agents, for although you'll find them manifest within redemptive history, in terms of judgment, in terms of announcing a great epic within the redemptive story, either at the birth of Christ, sometimes miraculously and manifestly coming to the rescue of God's people. Most of the time, you and I will enter angels unaware. Okay, Hebrews 13, verse 2. We're just not going to see what they are and what they do. We're going to be like Elisha's servant in 2nd Kings 6, 16 to 17, whose eyes had to be open to realize that the angels of God were all around him and Elisha, and there were more for them than against them. But most of the time, we don't see that. We've got to believe that. But all the time, God's angels are working in the life of the church, in the invisible war with satanic forces, holding back their hurt and their harm, ministering through us, strengthening us like the angels strengthened the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful thing. I don't have an angel story, but it doesn't mean I don't have an angel story. You say, Pastor, that's a contradiction. No, it's not. I don't have an angel story, but I'll bet you I have an angel story, because most of the time I won't see what they do. Hebrews 1, 14, a beautiful verse, God sends his angels to watch over those who will become heirs of salvation. There are some of the reasons the bullets miss. I have a sneaking suspicion, and it's only a suspicion, I was driving one night with several friends in the car, showing off, to be honest about it, to my condemnation. A couple of girls in the car, putting the pedal to the metal, was on a coast road in Northern Ireland, lost it on a corner. And I got it back. And I don't know how I got it back. In fact, my son say, I can't believe you got the car back. And I kind of took credit. I go Well, it's just me, you know. If I have a sneaking suspicion of an angel story in my life, something, someone grabbed that wheel and controlled that car. That's as far as I'll go. But I don't need to know that's an angel story. All I need to know is that he has given his angel's charge over you and me. They're a means of protection. Don't discount your personal protection detail, which are called the angels of heaven. Okay, time's gone. I'll just touch on verses 14 to 16, because they're so wonderful. But I think I can get the gist of them to you, because we've looked at the delivered, verses 1 to 2, and the deliverance, verses 3 to 13. But what about the deliverer? Because he has set his love upon me, God is now speaking of the psalmist and the faithful saints of God that trust him. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Having spoke to himself having spoke to others the psalmist now finds god speaking to him as he seeks to confirm the faith of others god confirms his faith here's what god does for people that trust him are loyal in their love to him who know him intimately through his name who pray because it's a certain type of person will enjoy this certain type of protection and that certain type of person the believing believer, the praying saint, the devoted disciple, the worshiping soul, they come to enjoy a settled sense of God's presence based upon, as we close, a sevenfold promise from God. When we're done, keep your Bible open and go back over verses 14 to 16. I will deliver him. I will set him on high. I will answer him. I will be with him. I will honor him. I will satisfy him. I will save him. These are the blessed assurances of Psalm 91. This is a pledge from God Almighty of his self-involvement based on grace and the covenant of his love toward his people to get involved in your life and my life. Here's what he will do no doubt about it, sure as shooting, God will deliver us. God will set us on high. God will answer our prayers. God will be with us. God will honor us. He will satisfy us with a long and a full life, and he will show us his salvation. R.C. Sproul is right when he said, God doesn't simply command courage with no reason behind it. In nearly every incident where God says, fear not, There follows a reason to have courage, and that reason is God Himself, His nature and His perfect plan. But I want to tell you, read the I wills of Psalm 91, 14 to 16. God doesn't stutter. There's no ambivalence. You're going to read about what God, a covenant God, a sufficient God, a glorious God will do for His people. And whatever you're going through, it doesn't matter what men can do to you. It doesn't matter what diseases can do to you. God is your refuge, and under his wings you can abide. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, great peace of they that keep your law. And in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this, this global pandemic, may the church— Be a witness to the peace of God that passes all understanding. Lord, we thank you today, looking over our shoulder for the bullets that missed. We thank you you have proven yourself, you've delivered us from, and you've covered us in. And we thank you that what you were, you are, and you shall be. Lord, we want to marry ourselves to the I wills of Psalm 91. We want to find our refuge in the nature of God. Not the nature of the situation, not the nature of our human help, but in the nature of an everlasting, almighty, sufficient God who covenants in love and mercy to indeed save his people Lord, we thank you you've saved us physically from harm and danger. We thank you you've preserved our life to serve you. We are immortal until our work is done. We thank you you're saving our soul. We thank you you continue to save it from the penalty and power of sin. We thank you someday you'll save it from the very presence of sin. Lord, we celebrate today with the psalmist the fact that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my strength. In Him will I trust. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Philip DeCourcy again. I just want to take a moment to tell you a bit about the ministry of Know the Truth and why we exist. Do you ever watch the evening news and find yourself completely shocked at what you see? I know I do. It's hard to believe how far our society has fallen from the truth of God's Word. We live in a world where it seems falsehood is king, and truth is described as something relative, even non-existent. The search for it, futile. But the Bible says that truth has always existed, and that truth took on human flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ, and it therefore can be known. We can indeed know the truth, because truth is a person named Jesus. Jesus tells us that in John 14, 6. The sad reality of our fallen and dying world is due to a lack of knowing truth, a lack of knowing the Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why I know the truth exists. It's our mission, our joy, our passion to share the gospel with a world in desperate need of truth through clear, compelling, convictional Bible teaching. The Word of God itself is truth, because Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed.
0: Yes, I love that we say that every day, Philip. And if you believe in what we're doing here at Know the Truth and you'd like to get involved in making the truth of God's Word known, the best way to get involved is by becoming one of our Truth Ambassadors. These monthly supporters help cover the many costs it takes to plan, produce, and distribute Know the Truth on the radio and Internet. Their faithful monthly gifts help reach men and women all over the country and world with God's Word at no cost to them. Truth Ambassadors also receive exclusive resources from Pastor Philip, including a special welcome package, a monthly newsletter just for them, and a copy of each monthly resource. In May, you'll receive the book, Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God, by Tim Challies. If you or someone you know is going through a season of loss and could use some encouragement and strengthening, this book is for you. It's an honest look at grief, fear, faith, and hope, and it will help readers behold the goodness of God in all of life's seasons. You can request your copy today with a gift of any amount. Call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And when you make a donation of $40 or more, more resources are coming your way. We'll send you the Psalms of Trust Personal Devotional Booklet, a companion resource for our current study, Psalms of Trust, Statements of Faith as well as direct online access to the entire series. Again, call 888-644-8811 or visit ktt.org. And one last thing, be sure to connect with us on social media for encouraging content. Just search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us tomorrow when Philip DeCourcy begins a new message in Psalm 62. That's Friday